Hello and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to the trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Daniel Sanchez Morales and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Amanda Coombs. Uh, she's going to help us today discussing a little bit about her work uh, being a trainer as a first aid for mental health with the Canadian Mental Health Commission of Canada. So let's get into today's conversation. So please, Amanda, if you want, you can uh, give us a brief introduction about who you are, what's your field of expertise, and how long have you been affiliated as a first aid trainer uh, for this program at the Mental Health Commission of Canada? Okay. Um, so yeah, my name was um, my name is Amanda Coombs, and I reside in the Jane and Finch community. Um, I've been um, a tenant representative um, for um, one of the communities in Jane and Finch for the past eight years. And in that capacity, I basically just addressed the needs and concerns of the residents and help them to organize um, events in the community or um, come up with strategies to help to improve their quality of life or to carry out um, certain programs that they're interested in implementing in the community. Um, I graduated from York University with a BA in psychology, and I am currently completing um, my master's in um, clinical counseling. In 2017, I was approached by um, one of our community development officers, Louise and um, Rosemary Bell, um, with the opportunity to become a mental health first aid instructor. You know, we've asked some of the people in the community, like, you know, who they think would have been a, a good fit for this. And your name came up. Is this something that you're interested in? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I, I already am very passionate about mental health and you know, and um, helping people to resolve a lot of the, the issues that they have um, regarding mental health and um, um, or other or anxiety or any type of mental health problem that somebody may be living with. So it's something that's already been already for a very long time has been a passion of mine. So I jumped at the opportunity. And when I asked her, like, you know, what's wrong with the, the lady that currently comes in to, to train residents in the community, she said that the feedback that they were getting from the residents was that, um, you know, that people who are um, don't identify as people of color or racialized individuals, um, they weren't able to relate with the trainer who was white. And she was given examples in the course that related primarily to white people's experience. And they felt that you know, the examples did not relate to anything that they experienced with the mental health challenges in their community. And I was like, yes, as soon as she mentioned that, I was like, I'd love to, to do this training. So since 2017, I've been a certified mental health first aid um, facilitator for adults that work with youth. And I've certified um, to date over 900 individuals um, across Toronto, but predominantly in the Black um, Creek Humber River Ride-In um, in Mental Health First Aid. And I'm just excited to say that number because, you know, um, with everybody that gets certified, it spreads more awareness and destigmatizes mental health um, challenges around mental health, stigmatizations around mental health. Yeah. Of course, yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. And I want to congratulate you first for your work because it's not easy. Uh, I've been part of the trainings myself. 
and yeah. I enjoy it as well. But I know that it's not easy, especially getting to uh, these folks and trying to uh, engage with them to teach them uh, and provide them with some tools about mental health resources. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're already talking a bit about this training. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the goals of the training itself? Um, so some of the goals of the training is to support people and to give them the knowledge to be able to assist somebody that may be living with a mental health um, challenge or somebody that may be experienced in a mental health crisis. And often when I do these trainings, the first thing that the, the participants will say is, it's not that I've never wanted to help someone that I saw in a crisis, but I just don't know how to respond. I'm afraid that I might do something to make the situation worse or that that person might become very angry at me. So with this course, we teach the participants and the individuals how to recognize those symptoms and how to provide that support, how to have that initial conversation with somebody that is either living with a mental health challenge or experience in a mental health crisis. And it's very important, you know, that, you know, we're able to recognize those symptoms. And often, you know, people don't come forward because they're not even aware that they have a mental health problem, right? That's impacting um, their quality of life or their ability to function on a daily basis. So as a mental health first aid responder, some of the goals of the course is just to ensure that we are um, preserving that person's life, right? And preventing their mental health condition from deteriorating. It's just like CPR. When somebody um, is um, having a life-threatening situation or we recognize that they can't breathe, the first thing we do is we give them chest compressions, right? To keep that blood flowing through the heart. And that's basically the individual's jobs when they get certified. And that is the goal of this, this training is to ensure that people are equipped with the skills to, to give that mental health CPR to help sustain life, right, until that person is able to seek appropriate professional help. So one of the main goals and focus of the course is for the participants to understand the concept of algae and to have that basically memorized and embedded in their brain by time the course is over. And the acronym basically stands for assessing the risk for suicide and harm, listening non-judgmentally, Given that reassurance and information, which is so important, those two pieces, being able to listen with empathy and to let that person know that although you may not understand exactly what it is that they're going through, you're there to provide support and you're there to help them get the, the support to the resources that they need. So really important that we listen non-judgmentally, give that reassurance and information. And then E, encourage the young person to seek appropriate professional help. That doesn't necessarily have to be a doctor. It can be a therapist. It can be a counselor. It can be um, a, a coach, somebody that that person feels comfortable talking to. And then just to encourage other support, self-help books, um, exercise and yoga, whatever it is that you feel can be conducive to that person's recovery. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds great. And also that just gave me some flashbacks of me repeating that phrase over and yes. over until I finished the course because it yes. was important to keep in mind that was the order and mm -hmm. how that could help me actually in a situation how to respond accordingly and yes. how to provide the, the support that that person was yes. needed at that time. So yes. yeah. It's such a great acronym to remember the steps, right? To provide that support and to have that conversation with someone that's, that's experienced in a crisis, right? And I think 
in all those steps that really that non-judgmental listening piece is like so important to, to know that there's somebody there to listen but not judge you because you are experiencing a mental health challenge. Of course, and at the end it's really handy because you just like remember the acronym and you already yes. instantaneously know how to respond, which is yes. as you say, like what a first aid person will do in any kind of like yes. life training and situations. So yes. that's great. Yes. Yeah. But moving a little bit forward, I would like to discuss a little bit about what are the challenges that you face when you are teaching these courses? Like maybe have you find any cultural resistance or like lack of yes. awareness or like lack of interest? Tell us like some of those challenges. Um, so most recently, um, some of the challenges I've faced is finding a place where I can actually roll out these mental health trainings where um, they will allow people who are not fully vaccinated to be a part of that training. So that has been a huge barrier right now. I'm having participants that really need this knowledge that are living in marginalized communities or are working in settings where, you know, there are people that, you know, can use this training, but they're not able to take the course because a lot of the places that we normally get a permit to use for free, um, such as, um, you know, um, city spaces, the Driftwood Community Center and certain Toronto community housing spaces, people have to be fully vaccinated. So that has created a barrier um, in delivering the training. Also um, finding spaces that are large enough to meet the requirements for social distancing now, because it, the part of the, what makes this course so good is that it's interactive and people get to engage with one another, role play, act out scenarios where they are supporting somebody that's experiencing a mental health challenge and finding a, a big enough space you know, that support social distancing has been really hard right now. But in the past, um, some of the, the challenges I would say I would face is um, a lot of people who are, um, I'll say, um, well, not well informed about um, a lot of the, 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 the issues or the information that's out there surrounded mental health. And it's not that it's of any fault of their own, but just um, as they were raised culturally, right? So we have a lot of people that attend our trainings that come from um, countries where they've never heard of the word depression. They've never heard of the word anxiety or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, and it's a new concept to them. And even as they're going through the, the, the course, you can see that cultural resistance where they're like, you know, this just means you're tired, not being able to get up out of your bed or, you know, not feeling like you can even like do something as simple as brushing your teeth. It just means that you're tired. And even when you're feeling, you know, a little bit nervous about situations and it starts to interfere with your, your, your ability to function daily, you just have to push through because that's what my mother said. And that's what I saw my grandmother do. And it's, it's generational, right? And, and some of these, um, these um, cultural resistance, it dates back to slavery, right? Where slaves were where we're not seen as intelligent enough to experience those types of mental challenges such as depression or um, anxiety, right? So um, it's breaking those, those misconceptions and getting people to, to realize and to understand things from a different perspective when um, they're so used to seeing things in a, in a certain way. Um, another challenge often comes up when we're covering substance use disorders where um, a lot of people will find it very hard to accept the fact that marijuana 
you know, is linked to temporary psychosis. And, you know, if you have a predisposition to uh, mental health challenges such as bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia, that even stress or smoking marijuana can produce or trigger, you know, um, those symptoms um, of schizophrenia or that are commonly seen in people who are living with bipolar disorder. And often they'll tell me, I smoke marijuana all the time and my doctor gives me marijuana and, you know, it makes me feel fine and this shouldn't be part of the course. And, you know, I, I completely get it. Like in Jane and Finch, the other day I was driving and just by Jane and Steele's, there was a bill, a, a, a sign that said pre-rolled um, weed for a dollar. And I was just thinking about all the youth and, and children and people that are walking past and seeing this sign and how many of these cannabis stores have popped up on every corner. And it's a, it's a, it's a, I can see why people that take the course would feel like it's something that's so normalized now and it shouldn't be part of the course and it shouldn't be considered a substance. Yeah. 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 That, that sounds interesting. And like that comes along to like what we're normalized as regular drugs. Cause like, as you explained, for yes. example, in the training, like alcohol and it's like, highly linked like it's not good to provide to leave a person with some alcohol yeah. uh, if that person is uh, suffering or going through some depression because yeah. that is going to actually worsen it but like yes. alcohol is so embedded in our uh society norms that we just yes. like think that because it's easy accessible then you can yes. just like say i'm just gonna forget about it i'm just gonna drink my my bottle by myself and it's gonna be fine yes. so yeah that's totally that's absolutely yeah. true that's a great point daniel and, and we see alcohol now in every store like i think every grocery store now carries alcohol like the only place i think that hasn't started it yet is like shoppers drug mart um another challenge that is very common in the trainings as well is um people thinking that, you know, children do not experience any mental health challenges, right? Um, often when I, I, I um, teach the course and I say, you know, sometimes children, I, I, I support a lot of children who are, are dealing with PTSD, who live in marginalized communities and had their door kicked in by the police, dragged out of their beds at 3 a.m. in the morning, or just children who are being bullied and experience depression, anxiety, people often respond with like, what do children have to worry about? Children don't get depressed. Children don't have anxiety. And it's like, yes, they do, but they just show it in different ways, right? There might be a change in their eating habits, their sleeping patterns. They might become more rebellious, irritable, angry, but children do experience depression and anxiety. And once again, it's important for us to recognize those signs and, you know, to, to um, break the destigmatize a lot of these um things and misconceptions around um mental health yeah yeah absolutely i just want to comment that sometimes we just forget that uh children just see reality in a different way and just because we yes. are just adultifying them and thinking that oh just because i have to pay the bills i have to pay rent and those are like visual yeah. stressors that like that means that if they don't have to do go through this then they don't experience any kind of stress or like any kind of triggers right so yes. yeah it's important yes. to keep up in the conversation about like uh mental health it's uh it's something that affects us in different levels and in different ways mm -hmm. and just because one trigger triggers yeah. you it doesn't mean that it's gonna trigger me or it's gonna mm -hmm. trigger somebody else but it still mm -hmm. can like affect my mental health mm -hmm. um and moving a little bit forward like i know that we'll read uh, talk a little bit about this but like i would like to uh to share with us a little bit about how you knowledge and especially you as a black woman in the community uh how do you put this this input like this vision 
and help us like decolonize and a little bit about what we know of mental health or like how we get access to resources and specifically why to focus on BIPOC marginalized communities? Like what's the goal? Like why should we just focus on these communities when, when we talk about these trainings or like offering these spaces? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel very good and it's very empowering as a black mother, not just a black mother, but as a, as a black single mother, right? Um, to be able to have this position to share this knowledge within the community with so many people who are not well informed right who are not aware of the resources that are out there or or what many mental challenges are what they even look like right and um being a person a woman of color um i've experienced my own um issues surrounding i would say um sexism right even just working within this community as an instructor at the gym and finding it so hard sometimes to to just overcome a lot of the barriers that not just my, myself but many other women face of color black women face within the community and within the workplace um trying to navigate you know their way through a lot of these systems as in, in healthcare especially the healthcare system right and finding ways to to access so many resources especially with all those gaps right that you you you're walking across the bridge and then there's a gap you'll get a little bit closer you're walking across the bridge again and then there's another gap right and trying to find ways to fill those gaps, right? Um, and to link different resources that we're trying to obtain together. So it really, it really is empowering. And I feel just honored to, to be able to be teaching this course, you know, as a Black woman, and especially because, and I will share this, that 90% of the people that do take this training are Black women, or women, racialized women. We, we get a few men, and Daniel, you were one of them, we get a few men, but majority of the, the participants that do take this course are, are Black women, and Black women from single single parent homes, right? So it, it, I feel very great to be honored to be in this position because I am relatable um, to the a lot of the participants that are taking this training um, in the sense that, you know, I can understand some of the mental health challenges and where it comes from and just really teaching this course from uh, uh, looking at it through an anti-oppressive lens when we're teaching this training, right? Looking at it through an, an anti-racism um, lens as well and just ensuring that, you know, I'm also keeping it very trauma-informed as well. Um, understanding that many of the people who are taking the course are coming from uh, some of the same or, or similar experiences that I'm coming from, the trauma that they've had to experience living in a marginalized community, you know, waking up and finding out that somebody that was very close to you has now passed away right whether it's due to gun violence in the community or COVID-19 and how that impacts our mental health not being able to know where your next meal is coming from from your child as a single mother navigating you know the system with child support or trying to obtain um extra income right and and to just feeling ashamed even just to access services like social assistance or or odsb so um yes as a as as a black woman in in this community and having this role um at, when i speak it's not just about the material but it's about you know letting the participants understand that i i get you i i understand 
you you went through a teenage pregnancy, you had to make diff difficult decisions in your life. I got you on that. You were involved in the criminal system. I can relate to that. So was I. And just being able to, I just thank God for my journey because, you know, it's led me to where I am today. And I feel like all of those, those, those things and those challenges that I was able to overcome in my life makes makes me a, a really great person in this position as a black woman because people the feedback I normally get is that you were relatable Amanda and you were easy to talk to and the information was was the information that you gave the information and the examples that you gave really made it um made it easy for us to digest the material yeah yeah, I actually want to share that, like, I remember, like, being on the training and people actually saying, like, oh, Amanda, like, this has happened to me in my life, or, like, I never yes. knew that I could do this, this, and that. Yeah. So, like, this, the capacity of you, like, trying to build really meaningful relationships with yes. the future uh, first yeah. responders, I think yes. that it's important, because, like, mm -hmm. once you feel related to your trainer, you feel yes. confident enough to put your skills into practice in the real yes. world, in the real world. Yeah. And that's actually the whole goal of the program, I guess. Yes, yes. And as a just as a black woman in this role, it shows other people. And you know what's the great thing, Daniel? That so many people after the training, I want to become a facilitator. How can I become a facilitator? So that capacity building piece, right? And mm -hmm. even through the grant that we just received, we have money left over. So we're looking for somebody else now to become a mental health first aid facilitator, not just in the Jane and Finch community, but this is something that's happening in Regent Park, in Lawrence Heights. So it's just spreading everywhere. And I'm just happy that, you know, by um, being in this role that it, it's inspired so many other Black women to become facilitators and not just facilitators, but to to be, step up and, and, and be, um, feel confident to, to work in influential positions that can make changes on a very, very large scale. Yes. Of course, of that's great. And so like for any folk that it's listening to us right now, if you're interested in becoming a trainer, like first assist and train yourself as a first responder and like, who knows, like maybe you will be like to join and be a facilitator as well. And yeah. going with the flow of this nice conversation, you already touched on this. You were just ahead of me. And I would like to ask you about how this program or, or training empowered by POC and or marginalized folks to take action and advocate for mental health resources. And like I know that you already touched a little bit a little bit on this, but like how mm -hmm. this program helped building trust in a community. Mm -hmm. So with this program, like once um, the participants leave and they, they get their certificate and they're equipped with that knowledge, I've seen how they form their own groups within the community to support one another. When there's a crisis in the community, they'll call me and be like, Amanda, I'm so happy I did this training. You know, there was a shooting. I was able to connect with a couple other people who were certified and we were there to we're able to go out and provide support, you know, to those residents who are negatively impacted and just traumatized from what has happened in the community. Even when we had that fire in, in Jane and Shoreham and people were displaced for months, um, there was a couple of mental health trainers that dedicated their time to go out and support um, people, you know, that were impacted by that fire. Um, so definitely just, um, really the knowledge that everyone gains from this training, they're able to connect with one another and share those resources, right? And let them know, hey, did you know that 
you know, at Jane and Finch Mall upstairs, the Mensa Black Creek Community Health Center offers mental health, free mental health training and grief counseling, or even the spot you can drop in to get these things. So just sharing knowledge. And we have a WhatsApp group that was created and it's been um, growing larger and larger since 2017, where people just share knowledge with each other. They just share, like, when they come across different mental health trainings, um, different resources where there's different organizations that are offering free, you know, stuff to help um, build good mental health and, and overall well being. So, definitely, this program has empowered people to just share resources and information with one another and to advocate, right? To advocate for more um, culturally appropriate um, mental health practitioners in the community, to advocate for more non judgmental, safe places where community members can come together and talk about their mental health challenges or experiences that they're having in their lives without feeling that they're being, you know, stigmatized right or targeted um and yeah these are just a couple of the things that have came out of the mental health training and i know it's just going to continue to grow and and continue to be more impactful as more people become um certified yeah yeah something i can say is because like i am also part of the whatsapp group like as soon as you finish the training mm -hmm. you are added to the group is that it's not only about sharing these resources, but also like yes. sharing a little bit about your personal life. And I think yes. that that's important to build a community because I've mm -hmm. seen like uh, some messages and posts of people saying yes. like, oh, I did this for my community or like I'm doing this. Yes. I would like to all like share with you this knowledge or I want to share this little accomplishment. I think that that's important because like that's yes. the whole core of like building a, oh a community, gosh. you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thanks for mentioning that, Daniel. I forgot that. So that, that trust building piece. Yes. And you'll find that amongst each other, it's like, it's, it's developed a little community of people who are mental first aid responders and they share their accomplishments. I see it all the time in the group. I just completed this course or, you know, I just got, you know, um, an article published in the newspaper and everyone just celebrates each other. And, you know, it's just a place of love and support. And I see this throughout the community with people who are now certified in mental health first aid, just really reaching out to helping their neighbors, you know, go into other buildings where they may not know that person to let them know, hey, I'm here to lend a hand, I'm here to lend some support. Or even sometimes I just, I get private messages, hey, Amanda, like, you know, I, I've been supporting this person and I'm kind of stuck. I don't know, you know, if I should reach out or continue this or pass this person on to someone else. So definitely that, that trust piece has really, really um, been built through these certifications, yes. Yeah, and I love that. I think that that's the one of the key components, not only from from the training, but like in terms of accessing to resources and accessing yes. to a, a supportive community, like that trust that yes. is generated by sharing these experiences. It's absolutely true. Yes, it's um, allowing people to just be yeah, vulnerable. No, yes. Yeah. <laughs> to be vulnerable with one another, which is hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is hard, but it's important too, you yes. know keep yeah. like growing as a as a community yeah uh, but we're getting now like towards the end of our episode for today and I just have like mm -hmm. two questions left so the first one is what do you think or like how do you think this is a good alternative to police response within these communities so we know that when the police respond 
to mental health crisis calls that they usually end in fatalities, right? We know that usually the, the families that call for help, hey, like my son is having an episode or, you know, uh, my daughter is manic right now, I need support that usually when the police come and their idea of de-escalating the situation is by shooting, you know, the person that's experienced in the mental health crisis. And we've lost so many people um, not just racialized individuals, but people who are not of color as well, um, when the police end up responding to a lot of these uh, mental health crisis calls. So I think that, you know, having mental health first aid responders, is it's a wise alternative. And I think that it can help to decrease the amount of fatalities that we have when the police are involved with supporting people who are having a mental health challenge. And I would really love to see, and this is something that we discussed in our last mental health training, but, you know, we need to advocate more to have police trained in mental health first aid so that they know how to respond effectively to somebody that is experiencing a mental health crisis without having to use their guns, right? Um, also to um, maybe implement a policy where police are not able to respond until that person is um, able to sit down with a mental health first aid responder who's able to recognize the symptoms and provide that non-judgmental listening piece. Because often when people are in a crisis, they just want somebody to understand, you know, what they are going through and they need to vent, right? And they want their feelings validated, right? Um, and I feel like a mental health first aid responder can provide that type of support to somebody. There are situations, yes, where the person who is experiencing a mental health crisis may be a harm to themselves or the family. And yes, police do need to get involved in that case. But there are so many situations where I feel that it could have ended on a positive note instead of a fatality. And I'm so happy. I know that we have a project that started in Toronto where um, 2022 is a pilot project. They're going to have a crisis call center where all the calls that normally go to the police are going to be redirected um, to that center instead. So that's a first step. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. a first step. But um, really, I really think that the police should not be responding to mental health crisis calls unless that person is a danger to themselves or others. And even when they do respond, there should be a mental health first aid responder to speak to that person to help to de-escalate de the situation before the police actually step in. Yeah, I absolutely agree, especially because I've, we have seen like recently that uh, police response are like enough you know, these component of like not judgment and they just act based on force, uh, which like yes. in somehow uh, perpetuates this judgment and this stigma, yeah. right? So I believe uh, I believe that we actually talk a little bit about in, in uh, a little bit about this in my training. Yeah, and it's about like it's important to show some empathy because. These yes. people are not getting this crisis from nowhere. These people exactly. have been challenging with these uh, difficulties yeah. and struggles for a while and just responding with force. Uh, maybe it's not the uh, more it's, accurate it's way. Not, to it's not a viable solution. Even if the police can just see that, that the individual is a person and not somebody that's, you know, has a mental health problem. If they could see, this could be my daughter, this could be my son, this could be my mother, this could be my, my father. But just to see that, that individual as a person before they respond, right, without stigmatizing them, it can make a, a huge, just a very huge difference. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, seeing people as human beings are not as targets. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, uh, for our final question today is, why encourage you to keep going with this work? Um, so one of the things that encourages me is, number one, the feedback, 
you know, every day, there's not a day that goes by where a participant doesn't call me somebody that's that's graduated from the course and now certified and says, Amanda, you know, this has helped me so much, not just to support people, but with my own mental health challenges that I've been experiencing. And, you know, for them to recognize that, you know, it's not something that we need to be ashamed of, right? Everybody will experience a mental health problem at some point in their life, right? Something, whether it's a depression, anxiety, you know, a substance use problem, we all experience mental health problems, right? But it's that misconception that, you know, to, 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 to have a mental health problem means that you're walking down the street and you're talking to yourself, right? And often a lot of the things that we experience, they're not visible, right? They're, they're not as visible as, as auditory hallucinations or, or delusions. Um, and that's one of the things that keeps me going is that, you know, people, the, the knowledge that they've gained from this um, training has helped them to spread awareness and to destigmatize mental health and to just let people know that it's okay, you know, to seek support. And there are resources out there, you know, if you are feeling like, you know, hopeless or helpless and that there's no way out that, you know, there are people that are there to listen and people that care. And I think as we continue to certify more people and as, you know, more people um, really just get out there and, and share the knowledge that they've learned and support more people and become instructors themselves that, you know, we can destigmatize mental health community by community um, through every person and really just help spread that awareness, right? That, that it's okay to have have a mental health challenge. It doesn't mean that it's a weakness in your, your character. It doesn't mean that you're you're less than anybody or, you know, but you're you're loved and you are appreciated and you are valued and there are resources and there are supports out there if you really need help. And that's what keeps me going. It, it really does. And most of the people that, you know, graduate from the training, they've they've had their own mental health challenges and the certification has helped them so much to recognize those symptoms and to help them overcome those challenges and also to support others. So yeah, it really keeps me going. Of yeah. course, yeah. And I would like just to close with this this piece that you highlighted is all of us were valuable. And because mm -hmm. we're valuable, uh, we can we we deserve to get access to these resources because uh sometimes we face challenges, but as we face challenges, we can also face solutions. So that's yes. really important. Yes, yes. It is of important. Course. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for uh, being here today, Amanda. I love this conversation. I'm pretty sure that more folks we enjoy will enjoy this conversation as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you have any closing um, comments or something that you want to add. Um, no, just thank you for having me. And I just want to just continue to reinforce that, you know, mental health problems are common and it's important that, you know, we continue to spread the awareness because um, a lot of people are not well informed, you know, they're not aware of the resources that are out there and just continue to, to help each other and to support one another and to just be mindful as well, guys, of the language that we use, because sometimes it's so easy for us to say that person's crazy or, you know, this person's psycho and we don't really realize the impact of our words, right, and, and, and how it affects people and their mental health or even, you know, prevents them from coming forward to seek that support that they need. Yeah, so just to be mindful of, you know, the way that we talk to people, our own, you know, biases that we may have um, regarding mental health, because destigmatization also starts with, with, with us as well. So uh, thank you so much, Amanda. Uh, you have reached yeah. the end of this episode with the Trauma Mental Health Report podcast. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Connect with us 
at trauma.blog.jerkview.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see latest content. See you at the next episode. Thank you.